Hi, my name's Ian. I've been reading stories to my two boys for years, and now it's time for me to share those stories with you. Welcome to Storytime with Dad, where I read you a book, a chapter, or for 25 minutes. This is the story of the Six Companions. A certain man named John had been a faithful soldier and had served the king all through the war, and had been wounded too. But when the war came to an end, he was discharged and he only received three pieces of silver as payment. That is a mean way to treat a fellow, said John. But never mind, if I can only get the right sort of friends to help me, we will get all the king's treasure from him before we're done. So he shouldered his knapsack and off he set into the world to find the right sort of friends to help him do this. He walked along and walked along until he came to a wood and there was a man pulling up trees by the roots as if they were no more than grasses. You are the very man for me, said John. Come along with me and we will make our fortunes. The man was willing, but wait, he said, until I tie these sticks together and take them home to my mother. He laid six of the trees together and twisted the seventh around them to hold them. And then he walked off with them on his shoulder, as easily as though they were nothing. When he came back, he and the soldiers started out in search of their fortunes. They had not gone far when they came to a hunter who raised his gun to his shoulder and was taking careful aim. The soldier looked about over the meadows and could see nothing to shoot. What are you aiming at? asked he. Two miles away there's a forest, said the man. In the forest is an oak tree. On the topmost leaf of the oak tree there is a fly, and I'm going to shoot out the left eye of that fly. Come along with me, said the soldier. We three will certainly make our fortunes together. Very well, the hunter was willing, so he shouldered his gun and off he tramped alongside the other. Presently they came to seven mill wheels and the sails were turning merrily, and yet there was not a breath of wind stirring. That's a curious thing, said the soldier. Now what is turning those sails, I would like to know. Two miles further on they came to a man sitting on top of a hill. He held a finger on one side of his nose and blew through the other. What are you doing? asked the soldier. I am blowing to turn the wheels of seven windmills two miles away, so that the miller can grind his corn, said the man. Come with us, said the soldier. We're going out into the world to make our fortunes. Very well, the man was willing. The wind was springing up anyway, so the miller would not need him. So now there were four of them journeying along together. After a while they came to a heap of rocks, and there in the shade of it sat a man. He had unfastened one of his legs and taken it off, and he sat with the other stretched out before him. That's a good way to rest, said the soldier. I'm not doing this to rest, said the man. I'm a runner. If I were to put on this other leg and start off, I would be out of sight in a twinkling. I have arranged to take off one leg so that I can go more slowly. Though ordinary people find it hard to keep up with me even so. Take up your leg and come with us, said the soldier. We're going to make our fortunes. And it shall be share and share alike with us if you come along. To this the runner agreed. He took up one leg and hopped along on the other, and they found it hard work to keep up with him. He went so fast. They had gone but a mile or so when they met a man who wore a little hat cocked down over one ear. Hello, called the soldier. Why do you wear your hat in that fashion instead of straight on your head like the other people? Oh, every time I set it straight there comes such a heavy frost that the flowers are blighted and even the birds freeze in the trees. That's a wonderful gift, said the soldier. Come along with us and we will make our fortunes together. And now there are six of us and that is enough. We will have no more in our company. So the six stout comrades journeyed on until they came to the town where the king lived. The king had one daughter, and she could run so fast that it was like a bird skimming along, and the king had said that no one should marry her unless he could run faster than she could. If such a one came along, he should have her for a wife, 
but so far no one had been able to outrun her. A soldier with his five comrades marched up to the palace and knocked at the door as bold as bold and asked to see the king. At first the gatekeeper did not want to let the six in, for they were worn and dusty, but the soldier looked at him so fiercely that he did not dare to refuse. The six comrades were brought to the great hall where the king sat with his daughter beside him and all of the nobles about him. Well, what did the soldier and the fellows want with the king? Oh, the soldier wanted to try a race with the princess, but he was not much of a runner himself, so he would let his servant run for him. The king was willing for that, but he warned the soldier that if he failed in the race, he and his servants would lose their lives. The soldier was not afraid to risk that, so the race course was laid out and the princess and the runner made ready. They were to run to a fountain miles and miles and miles away, and each were to fill a pitcher with water and bring it back to the palace. Whichever returned first with the water would win the race. The runner stooped down and buckled on his second leg. Then he was ready. He and the princess set out. The princess flew like a bird, but the runner ran like the wind, and he was out of sight in a twinkling, and he had filled his pitcher and started home again before the princess was halfway to the fountain. The runner sat down to rest a bit. He was very sleepy and he thought he would take a little nap before going the rest of the way. In order not to be too comfortable and sleep too long, he picked up a horse's skull that lay in a field nearby and put it under his head for a pillow. But the runner slept more soundly than he meant to. The princess also reached the fountain and filled her pitcher and started home again. Then, halfway home, she came across the runner fast asleep with his pitcher of water beside him. This was the chance for the princess. She quietly poured out the water from the runner's pitcher and set it down beside him empty. Then she hurried on her way towards the palace, leaving the runner still asleep. And now all would have been lost except for the hunter. He had been watching from the palace window and seen everything that had happened. He made haste to load his gun, took aim and shot the skull from under the sleeper's head. This awakened the runner and he sat up and looked about him. There was the princess, almost back to the palace, and his pitcher lay empty beside him. However, this was nothing to him. He picked up his pitcher and away he went, swifter than the wind. He ran back to the fountain and filled the pitcher. He got back with it to the castle door before the princess had come in the outer gate. And now, by rights, the princess belonged to the soldier. But the king would not make up his mind to have him married to a common man like that. As for the princess, she was ready to cry her eyes out at the thought of it. She and the king talked and talked together, and at last they made a plan up between them. The king had a room made that was all iron and could be heated until it was hotter than any oven. Then he called the comrades to him and said, Now... You have fairly won the race, and I have ordered food and drink to be set out for you, and you shall make merry over it. Then he showed the companions into the iron room, and there was a grand feast had been made ready. The six sat down at the table and began to eat and drink. But the king went on and locked the doors behind them. Then he ordered a fire to be built under the room, and to be kept up until the room was red hot. The six companions sat around the table, eating and drinking merrily enough, until they began to feel too warm. Then they got up to leave the room, but they found the doors locked and they were fastened in. At once they guessed the trick had been played upon them, but they were not troubled over that in the least. This is something for you to see to, said the soldier to the man with the hat over one ear. The man set his hat straight, and at once a frost fell upon the room. It grew so cold that the comrades had to turn up their coat collars and walk about to keep warm. The king waited until he thought the six would certainly be suffocated by the heat, and then he ordered the door to be opened. What was his surprise when all the men walked out just as well and hearty as ever, except that they looked somewhat pinched with the cold. But the king was unwilling as ever to give his daughter to the soldier. He called the soldier to him and said, Listen, if you give up marrying the princess, I will make you rich for life. Yes, but how much will you give me? asked the soldier. 
I will give you all the gold you can carry. Well, the soldier hardly knew what to say to that. Ever since he'd been in the war, his back had been weak, but if the king would give him as much as his servant could carry, he would give up the princess in welcome. But if the king would give him as much as his servant could carry, he would give up the princess. The king did not care who carried off the gold, he was quite willing to give as much as the servant could carry. Very well, said the soldier, in a week's time I will come back for the gold, and you do gather it together and have it ready for me. The next thing the soldier did was to hire all the tailors he could get, and have them make an enormous sack, and when it was finished it was as big as a house. When it was done, he and the strong man went back to the palace together, and the week was just up. The strong man carried the sack, rolled up, on his shoulders. Meanwhile, the king had had a ton of gold brought up from his treasure room, and that, he was sure, was more than the strongest man could carry. When the soldier and his comrade came to where the gold was, the strong man opened up the sack, and taking up the ton of gold with one hand, he threw it into the sack. That will do for a beginning, he said, but we will have to have more than that. The king was frightened. He ordered more gold, and more to be brought up from his treasure house, and still there did not begin to be enough. I can easily carry twice as much and more, cried the strong man. At last the king's treasure house was empty, and he sent out all over the kingdom for more gold, and still there was not enough. Oh well, cried the strong man at last, I see you've done your best, we will have to be content with what we have. And he swung the sack up over his shoulder and marched off with it, and the soldier and the other comrades went along with him. But the king was in a terrible state of mind. Here, all his treasure had been carried off by a common soldier and his followers. He would almost rather have given up his princess than that. He stamped and raged, and when he called his horsemen together, he sent out two regiments after the comrades to bring them back and the treasure with them. It did not take the horsemen long to catch up with the comrades, for they were travelling along quietly enough and without any haste. Stop, stop, cried the captain of the regiment. I have come to take you and the treasure back to the king. Will you come along quietly, or will we have to drag you? Wait a bit, said the blower. Before we talk further about it, suppose you take a dance in the air. He put one finger to his nostril and blew through the other, and away went the captain and his regiment, whirling and dancing through the air like dry leaves when the wind blows them. After a while, he allowed them to settle down to earth again. There, he said. Have you had enough, or would you like another dance? No, the regiment had no wish for another whirl through the air. All they wished for now was to get safely back to the palace again. Very well, said the blower, then go back to the king and tell him, if he sends his whole army out after us, I will treat it the same way. But this the king dared not do. His treasure was gone, and he could not risk having his army blown away into the bargain. The comrades went on their way with no further hindrance, and after a while they sat down and divided the treasure amongst them, and each one had enough to make him rich and prosperous for life. The End Well, that's it for now, so thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed the story, there are links in the show notes if you want to buy a copy for yourself. Don't forget to subscribe. I've got more stories for you soon. Bye for now.